Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cap. In this episode, we chat with Paul Tatey, a partner with private equity firm Normandy Real Estate Partners and three-time Olympian. Also, as a member of the U.S. national rowing team, Paul won 10 national championships. We talk a bit about what it takes to sustain a high level of performance over a long period of time, as well as what I found most impressive, Paul's commitment to giving back. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. So, Paul, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. Really uh, delighted to chat with you. Um, you know, maybe what we could do um, is I'll give uh, give a little bit of an intro here. You're you're a three-time Olympic rower. You've won ten U.S. national championships, three World Cup medals, and and a Pan American uh, Games gold medal, which is truly extraordinary. Um, how are you How are you able to sustain such a high level of performance uh, year after year over such a long period of time. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me. First of all, happy to uh, happy to join you guys and have a have a great conversation this morning. Um, I think you know one interesting thing about uh, I think any muscular endurance sport, but but certainly rowing. In my experience in rowing, is that um, and I think perhaps part of what attracted me to the sport was, I think, was also a key ingredient in, in having kind of some level of sustained success over time is, number one, you you start seeing the effects of your training right away. So I saw very early on in my athletic career, my rowing career, um, different from some other sports, a direct sort of correlation and relationship, almost linear between what I put into it from a training perspective and the progress I was seeing. Um, and that's not always the case in, in some other sports that, that where I think that there's a more, um, you know, inherent talent, right? Not that that's not necessary for rowing, but I think a, a key thing that drove me to the sport was, you know, this relationship between uh, kind of direct relationship between the hard work uh, and training and, and the results that you could see. In the case of, of you know, the, the rowing machine, you literally see it right in your face every stroke you take, uh, but even in performance over time. So to kind of get back to your question of, you know, sustained uh, performance, um, you know, and success is defined a little differently for, for different folks, but, but certainly I, I uh, enjoyed some level of success over, over you know, 10 or 12 year period. Um, I think there was sort of a cumulative effect to that training. So when I think back, uh, over my career, really from my freshman year in high school all the way through um, my last Olympics, and, and even even during periods where I wasn't necessarily, you know, quote-unquote formally training on the team, I bet I didn't miss two days in a row of training during that entire period, you know, from like age 14 to 30. And to be totally honest, um, while it's certainly the, the total time training has gone down substantially. You know that's still a big, a big part of my life. But, but during that period where I was competing competitively, I think a key for me was really um, sustaining my training over that whole time and never taking, you know, significant periods of time off. So I think there was sort of a, a cumulative effect. I, I um, would joke often at the end of my career when I was kind of a, 
an elder statesman. In fact, most of my teammates called me Uncle Paul during that 2008 run. Um, you know, I, I had old, old man strength. But when I think back to it, some of the scores that I produced towards the end of my career, frankly, at least the physiological scores, um, came a lot easier to me than they did when I was 22, 23, 24 years old. And I think a big reason for that is that kind of cumulative effect uh, to muscular endurance training. So um, anyway, I'd say that was probably the, the most critical ingredient for me. Got it. And did you decide early on that, uh, you know, rowing was going to be something you pursued and, 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 and would achieve kind of these accolades? You know, that's, <laughs> I, you know it, I it, would, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would, um, I would say, you know, when I was, when I was younger, you know, I grew up playing just about every sport, uh, football, basketball, baseball, I ran track a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, seventh, eighth grade, I thought my most difficult decision in life was probably going to be between the NBA and the NFL. Mm -hmm. uh, and, then, <laughs> and then I got to my freshman year in high school and, you know, everyone started, uh, I've pretty much been the exact same size since I was in about fourth grade. Everyone started to sort of catch up and then pass me. And it became very clear to me very swiftly that, you know, those two things were not in the cards for me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think uh, like I said, I think I sort of grew into the sport um, over the course of, of high school and then, um, you know, got more and more serious. I was fortunate enough um, to really have some, some great coaches uh, at an early level. In fact, one of my um, high school coaches, Dave Krumpetich, was, uh, was actually an Olympian. He rode in the 1988 Olympics and a uh, super humble guy, really hardworking guy. And, um, you know, was, while he didn't say a whole lot, was, was certainly uh, an inspiration for me. And then obviously, as you know, RJ, my, um, you know, my brother, who's 21 years my senior, um, also competed for a long time. So I think once I got into the sport and it started to grow on me, and, and like I said, that sort of cumulative effect of my training started to take shape, I think even though it might not have been as explicit, um, and, and sort of, I never necessarily stated it out loud. I think having people like that around me made it feel, um, like maybe a subliminal, you know, uh, realistic goal, um, that this was something that, that was, uh, that I could, I don't know that I had specific aspirations of national team or Olympic games at that time, but I certainly felt like this was something I could continue and continue to progress. And I didn't see that immediate ceiling. Uh, in front of me, whereas I think some other sports, you see a ceiling, you know, a lot earlier on, whether it's because of your, you know, your physical size or, you know, um, you know, other, other attributes that you may, may or may not have. So um, I think that's, by the way, similar of other, other muscular endurance sports, like, you know, swimming, running, cycling, et cetera. Um, the interesting thing for me, I think that drew me to rowing specifically was it's really, you know, the ultimate team sport. Um, in a lot of ways, right? It's you're you're trying to get you know in the in the context of eights and fours, you're trying to get you know eight eight um, you know men to do the exact same thing at the exact same time, you know over a, a five six seven minute race. Um, it's there's there's no better coordination of of athletes. So I think that team aspect was was something for me uh, that really um, kind of drew me in as well. Yeah, and in, in, in order to compete. Uh, to compete at these elite levels, I imagine you you must have you know exceptional you know both leadership and, and teamwork skills. Um, 
maybe could could you share with us what what kind of sure. leadership means to you? Sure. Yeah, I think you know, I think in the context of of rowing specifically, um, you know, I know RJ, you and I have talked about this before, but I felt like aside from whatever you know uh, physical or physiological attributes might be necessary. I, I always felt like from a team perspective, you know, I'm one of 10 children. Um, and when you grow up in a household of 10, you, you kind of learn team pretty quickly. I think from certainly my household, and definitely my rowing career, leadership maybe meant something a little bit different than people typically think of when you say leader. They're picturing, you know, one person standing up at a podium in some cases, I think. And for me, the, the type of leadership that I learned in my household and over the course of my career in rowing was more kind of leadership, I think, by example and by being a good teammate, right? So you know, what does that mean in the context of a family? I think it means you've got 10 people at various points in their life where maybe different things are important to different folks. As an example, right, when I was, um, when I was rowing, when I started rowing in Philadelphia, the boathouse was about 15, 20 minutes away from our high school. And I started rowing my freshman year and all of our coaches worked and we would typically practice before school at 4:45 in the morning. So what did team mean in the context of my rowing career getting started for the Tatey family? It meant either my mom, dad, or one of my brothers and sisters driving me 15 minutes at 4.15 in the morning, right? Because for me at that time, there was nothing more important than, you know, my rowing practice. For them, perhaps they had to get to work or they had to, my mom had to get back and get the other kids, you know, ready for school or, um, you know, or what have you. So I think those are the types. And I think, you know, to relate it back to the question about leadership, I think if, if I think about my dad getting up at four o'clock in the morning after whatever he was doing, working that night before, um, that was a display of leadership, right? He had, he had leadership, he had responsibility for me in that case, one of the Tatey family team members who had something that was really important to them. So I think if I apply that to some of those lessons that I learned to my rowing career, certainly there are times that you need to speak up. Certainly there are times that you need to, um, kind of bring people together around a common goal. And, and, you know, those are pretty typical leadership skills. But I think in the context of the sport of rowing, you know, there's no MVP, right? It's not like someone's on the team scores a touchdown and someone else is the blocker. It's we're all going to cross the finish line either first or last together. And so I think leadership in that context really means coordinating a team around a goal and being part of that team, not above it or below it. Um, so I think I, I, I often think that, that my family upbringing um, made me sort of uniquely positioned to um, contribute um, as a productive team member and, and perhaps in certain cases as a leader um, in my rowing career. And, and frankly, um, my professional career has taken a very similar um, path in terms of being drawn to uh, more of a team uh, environment. So. Yeah, and that that's a good uh, segue. Cause I, I I did want to uh, chat a bit about how kind of you know your experience as an athlete and and competing has um, you know served you kind of in the in the business world. Um, you know, and uh, you know, given that you know there's some of the same dynamics. You're working with an organization, and you have to figure out how to win together. So would be would be curious to 
kind of hear um, you know hear hear more about uh, kind of leadership and teamwork in the in the business context. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, you know, for better or worse, rowing is not a revenue-producing sport. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> right. so one, of the, one of the only ways that I was able to, and I probably should have pointed that out uh, during your first question, but one of the only ways I was really able to continue my rowing career was to be able to find, um, you know, have a job that allowed me to train during, during those periods as well. Um, but, yeah, in terms of my, uh, you know, professional career, um, I think, I think it's a lot of those same attributes for sure in terms of, you know, being drawn to a team environment. Um, you know, I'm a, a, a partner at, a, at Normandy Real Estate Partners, uh, which is a uh, investment manager and developer uh, based here in the state of New Jersey. Um, and we operate more or less between Boston and Washington with offices in Boston, New York, and, and D.C. Um, and coincidentally, um, Normandy's two founders uh, are Finn Wentworth, who happens to be one of 10 children as well, <laughs> with the exact same split as me. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you that before, RJ, but yeah, he's got yeah, seven, seven sisters and, and two brothers. And, and the other founder, a guy by the name of Dave Welsh, um, was a, quite an accomplished musician. Um, and I, I point that out because I think in both of those contexts, you know, being contributing as part of a team, right? So we talked a little bit about um, being from a large family and that large family dynamic where everyone's expected to contribute and lead, um, you know, at certain times and kind of bring their talents to the table. I think similarly um, uh, with a musician as part of a, a band or team, you know, everyone's got their sort of set of responsibilities. And so I think when I think about our company and how it's formed, um, you know, I was, I joined when there were only four or five of us um, and we're now about a hundred and 30 people or so, plus or minus. Um, and I think about how that team has, our company has been built over time and how that team environment has been created. And I think it, it really comes back to, you know, Dave and Finn um, and a, a third partner that they brought on um, or that came on to start our fund business, Jeff Groning. You know, really, we, we always built everything, everything that we've built as a company has been in a team environment. Um, and so I think, I think my, my uh, my upbringing, my large family certainly contributed to my success in rowing, and there's no question that um, the time I spent training and competing um, athletically um, as part of you know both you know in, in high school and then both in college and, and on the national team, um, I think you know uniquely positioned me um, to be you know a, a successful contributor. Um, as part of a team that, you know, that's grown to be, um, you know, quite a successful platform. So, so I think, I think there are attributes and some of the things we talked about, right. Um, making sure that, that every day you show up, there's a contribution, there's the ultimate responsibility in the sport of rowing, right. Because you can't like, you can't take a playoff, right. You've got a 2000 meter race. There are eight of you. Uh, and you know, plus your coxswain or four of you, whatever it is, um, coming down the course, it's not like I can take a breath, right? So there's inherent responsibility insofar as the boat is moving, and and you're expected to move with those other um, with those other team members. I think that that ultimate responsibility, then when you come into the professional environment, and it's not necessarily that that someone's watching or sitting right in front of or right behind you. But I think that that's so ingrained in me. That concept is so ingrained in me 
that um, when I think about my work day, my work week, or, or long-term goals we have, whether it's a, a large deal that we're trying to close or, or something more day-to-day, I think I feel that, that constant um, draw uh, of responsibility to contribute. Um, and that's and it's, it's something that, you know, I think about every day in my professional life, and I, and I certainly um, draw that line back to um, my training um, and, and also my family life. I, I often say, you know, when we're, we're either meeting new partners or investors or what have you, that, um, and they ask, you know, what did you do before Normandy? Um, and obviously I had jobs, but, but the, the real answer is I, you know, my primary goal was, was training for, for the U.S. national team. And that I think the most transferable um, skill, at, you know, in, in a joking sense is pain tolerance, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I say that, I say that oftentimes when people ask about, you know, what the connection is between the two. But, but I think the, the, real, the real answer is that that responsibility to be a constantly contributing uh, member of the team. I mean, it's really important in the investment business and, and specifically in the real estate investment business um, where it's, it's fluid and there's a need to, to be constantly contributing. And you, you said something interesting the other day about how you think about, you know, some of the maybe transactions, some of the deals you're working on, some of the investments. Um, and, and, and you kind of had applied, you know, the same thought process when you were training for any athletic event in how you kind of manage, like, you know, I, I guess anticipate what could possibly go wrong and kind of mitigate that. You get ahead of it. Um, I don't know if you remember us talking yeah. about that the other day. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right. So, you know, if you think about sort of the, the complexion of, of a real estate transaction and, what, you know, what I do every day, whether it's a, a new acquisition or it's a lease or it's a financing, right? These are things that typically are identified up front. So let's take a lease transaction as an example. Let's say, um, you know, uh, RJ Capital, <laughs> okay, is wants to sign a, you know, 300,000 square foot lease at one of our properties in New York City and tour the property and we meet and we, we develop basic economic terms and there's some kind of letter of intent agreed, agreed to. So now we've established our goal, right? Our goal is to consummate this transaction that's got all sorts of complexities that might've been left out of that term sheet. And it's gonna take us you know, weeks or months to, con- to, to complete that. So let's put it a few months out, right? I think direct correlation in my athletic career, we've got, you know, the national championship in in June, and we're sitting here in January with a goal of winning the national championship. What are those interim steps that I need to take between now and June to make sure that anything that could occur, you know, um, during that race on that day that I've prepared myself for between now and then, right? And there's a series of steps. In, in the case of rowing, there's a, you know, long distance training period to build my base. There's a you know, a fine tuning as we get closer to race pace, there's, you know, health and wellness and, you know, what I'm going to be able to eat that day to the extent, you know, we talked, it might've been part of that same conversation, RJ, but we talked about, 
you know, diet, right? And said, well, if I'm racing in Bulgaria and I've got these very specific diet requirements that I can only adhere to in Princeton, I'm going to have a problem when I go to the line against the Germans or the Dutch or whoever it may be, right? So I think I relate that back to, you know, now we're back in the real estate deal and I say, okay, I've got, I've done a number of deals with other, um, you know, private equity or financial institutions that are just like RJ Capital, right? And so what are some of the things that came up? How can I prepare myself to get out in front of some of those issues that I know are going to present themselves between now and when we're able to consummate that lease transaction? And let's get out ahead of them. Let's talk to our attorneys about them. Let's make sure we staff this project properly. Let's make sure that, um, you know, the things that have come up in prior transactions that may have either caused timing or cost delays, um, to the extent they come up, let's identify them now and, and kind of work our way through them. So I think that that deal process, you know, I would probably not be as well suited for something that, that happened, um, you know, intraday where I was in and out of positions during, during the course of a day. That's not, I don't think that applies as well, um, at mm-hmm. least, at least directly to my own career, but having a, you know, medium or long-term goal that requires lots and lots of, of work and energy and time and focus in an interim period. That's something that um, that I'm very familiar with from my rowing career, and I think correlates almost completely and directly um, to the investment business. You know, we've often talked uh, on Sundays on our walk uh, from from church to the coffee shop, right, about yep. deals we're, deals we're working on that got you know. I hope we can get through this or, you know, this has been a real challenge or there's a challenging partner or counterparty or what have you. Right. Um, And that's, that's constant in our business and it's expected. And it's something that you can um, back to that cumulative effect to your training, right? There's a cumulative effect in my opinion to training for uh, a real estate investment transaction, a real estate lease transaction. And each deal you go through, I think it's my responsibility, frankly, back to that responsibility element to, to learn from that transaction. And when I get another one that, that, that looks like it or has a similar complexion, that I take those, those things and, and apply them to this new, this new situation, this new transaction. So I, th- I think those common themes are constantly uh, presenting themselves. And they present that ability, like you said, to try to get out in front of um, of the challenges that you know you can't avoid that you're going to have to work through in a in a particular uh, investment or transaction. Got it. Um, that that's uh, that's fantastic. Um, you know, to see how kind of the mindset um, you, you've been able to apply. You know, planning. Um, you know, and, and and thinking through all those little steps uh, along the way to accomplish a big goal. Um, maybe switching gears a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's really been a pleasure to get to know you over the last several years, and and you're someone who gives a tremendous amount uh, to the community and and various charitable causes. Where does you know where does this dedication to giving uh, come from? Sure. Um, well, you know, I I think some of this is going to sound familiar because I do think it comes back to to the the family element, but. I was actually just thinking about this the other day because there was a, um, a school that I'm that, that I'm somewhat involved with, and you know they're in a fundraising uh, campaign. And I was I was sort of thinking about this exact question, and and the reality is I've been the the direct beneficiary of 
of charity, and my mom used to always say charity starts in the home, right? I was the direct beneficiary. Like I said, you know, my athletic career, there's absolutely positively no question. I wouldn't have even been able to take step one, but for the contributions of my brothers and sisters and, and certainly mother and father and even extended family, whether it was driving me to practice or, um, you know, passing the hat around so that we could buy a rowing machine to put in our, in our cellar, you know, that I would literally live on, uh, you know, in early mornings and late, late nights when I could get extra work in. Um, or, you know, I went to um, uh, private school for a year um, and I remember get, I went to the Hunt School, actually very close to where you live, RJ. And mm -hmm. I remember getting there and thinking, oh, my goodness, people call this high school. Wow. You know, and and it was such a great experience. But the reality is, if it weren't for the not just, you know, charity in terms of support, but but and maybe charity is not the right word, but but help in terms of support, but also financial uh, help. I mean, I think everybody I knew, everybody in my family probably had some level of contribution to help me have that one year experience that, that was, you know, life changing for me. And I think, by the way, in some ways, you know, it benefits the school too, right? To have um, a community of, of, of people that get to have an experience that maybe um, they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford, whether it was through, you know, aid or help or whatever. So I feel, um, again, I, I, from, a, from a community involvement perspective, it's just something that I grew up with. Um, my father in particular, um, I mean, I can, countless examples. I think I've told you some of them, whether it was his, you know, he started a, a soup kitchen that ended up becoming a homeless shelter in Philadelphia. There was a period where he came up with this idea that, you know, during the winter months, uh, people that are, that are without a home on the street, um, you know, a, an ideal scenario is, all these churches in our community of, of every denomination um, are empty at, on, at, during the night, right? So mm -hmm. this is perfect. And he thought this was like such a perfect idea, right? We should be, we could utilize these empty churches as temporary uh, places for these people who are literally out in the cold um, to spend the night in, in, in a warm place. And uh, as you might imagine, that while that's a very good idea, uh, there was certainly some community pushback in certain communities, right? Mm -hmm. But, but and that's just you know one example. But I think I grew up with with that both within my family, and um, and also you know our parents, my parents, um, you know certainly ingrained in us that there was a responsibility to the community um, that we lived in because uh, you're you're benefiting from that community, and so I think there's a responsibility give back within the community, but also to give people who might not otherwise have access to the things that, that you've been lucky enough to attain uh, to have similar access. And so, you know, there are a number of organizations that I've um, been lucky enough to get involved with where either my time or my resources or my financial resources or experience could be helpful. And when those opportunities present themselves, I, you know, I, I certainly try to take advantage of it. And I'm as proud of, of those uh, of those things as I am of any you know uh, medal that, that that I've won or or, um, or deal that I've closed. So yeah, and, and maybe what we could do is, is you know perhaps we can you know close with some of the 
you know, charities that you support and, and we can, you know, what we'll do is we'll include, you know, links to those charities to, uh, for our listeners and, and readers if they have interest in learning more, because I, I think you're, you know, you're, you're involved with some really interesting ones. Um, you know, I know I, I got sure. to know Playlist through you, so maybe we could, you know, talk a little bit about that, if that works. Sure. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be great. I'll, I'll, you know, I could kind of give a maybe a run through of the things that I'm I'm currently involved with, and then uh, if there's anything interesting, we could we could uh, offshoot. But um, yeah, Playworks is a group that I got involved with. Um, you know, they are it's a fantastic organization that essentially, at the most basic level, is providing you know their goal is to br- provide children, and you know we've we've got children, right? So we know how important this is. Children basic access to play and recess. Um, particularly focused initially on um, areas where, in a lot of cases, it was literally either unsafe or, or too difficult for schools to provide access to basic research, uh, recess outside. And so it started with that, and I think it's grown into um, uh, significant research in, in conflict resolution and, and um, you know, healthy, healthy kids and healthy play and safe play. Um, so a very basic thing that requires a lot of work from a lot of people to provide, you know, every kid across the country access to the basic safe uh, and healthy play. Um, so that's an organization I'm really proud of. I've been involved from the sort of sticking on the health route uh, with Diabetes Research Institute, um, which I learned about, you know, frankly, through I think we probably all have friends and family that have been uh, touched by that disease, but I had the opportunity through uh, actually a real estate group um, in New York City who does quite a bit of work and basically produces the largest single fundraiser for the Diabetes Research Institute, which is part of the University of Miami. Um, I had the opportunity to get a little bit more involved through them. And um, so that's been really fun. And um, I also, um, one of my teammates actually, a guy by the name of Tom Auth, was diagnosed with leukemia. This is going back maybe could be maybe five, six, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, that was a real wake-up call for me because this was a guy that I looked up to in every way, family, personal, professional, certainly health. You know, he's a two-time Olympian and scratch golfer, champion cyclist, you know, just an incredible physical specimen. And this disease, you know, hit him. And um, at the time, at the time, you know, when he had children and a wife and was, you know, growing his career and family. And so, took that opportunity to get involved with um, a part of Leukemia Lymphoma Society called Light Tonight. It's an event that they put on every year. And, um, uh, you know, I got quite involved with that for, for a few years um, and have tried to stay involved, you know, as a contributor. Um, as RJ, as you know, you know, there, there are a number of rowing-related causes. I've gotten so much from that sport um, that, uh, you know, I stay pretty involved through the National Rowing Foundation. I've been involved with uh, the the organization over at Mercer Park, um, and more recently involved with a boathouse that's being built in uh, New York City. Actually, hopefully, uh, for an organization called Row New York, which was originally um, founded uh, based on the concept of giving young underprivileged women access to this sport that that um, is such a confidence builder and provide so much access to so many other things. And it's now grown to literally hundreds of young girls, uh, uh, as well as uh, adaptive rowing um, and other athletes training in multiple locations around New York City. Um, so those are 
those are some of the things that I've been um, involved with or that I'm currently involved with, I should say, that, that um, you know, I'm really proud of and, and uh, excited about the progress they've made and, and the you know, small contribution I've been able to play. And then I guess I shouldn't leave out that, you know, the closest thing to me is, is you know, our kids' school, um, which uh, I'm, I'm uh, involved with through the Board of Trustees and, and um, you know, trying to play a, uh, an impactful role there as well. Right. Well, fantastic. Well, I know we ran over and I, you know, definitely appreciate the, the time you've taken. So thanks so much, Paul, um, you know, for taking the time for the conversation and, and wish you and the, the family a great holiday season. Absolutely. Hey, thank you. And, and um, it's great that you put on this series. It's a good uh, opportunity to take a few minutes off and, and uh, talk about the things that interest us. So thank you. And um, I look forward to hearing the piece.